0: Welcome to PointCast, a podcast where we talk to voters about the issues that most concern them, and we encourage, encourage legislators to listen and to act. This podcast is brought to you in part by EliAc Productions, a studio for podcasters and musicians, and PointCast News. To listen to any of our podcasts, please go to our website at pointcast.news or visit us at Apple Podcasts. Also, be sure to follow us on our Facebook page. For today's show, what we're doing is we are bringing a group of uh, mental and uh, health professionals together to help us to understand some of the things that we're going through here in Indiana and uh, really address some of the direct questions that we've received on social media and to kind of help people to discern the difference between the facts and the things that may not necessarily be facts uh, as we know them yet. Uh, Our guests today are Kimberly Powell. She is a registered nurse and also has a JD. Uh, Dr. Joshua Scantlin, uh, who is a resident at, is it Indiana University? Josh, okay. And we have Alexis Morgan, who has been a mental health specialist and therapist for over 10 years. So um, with that being said, I kind of want to go directly into uh, some of the questions. Uh, that folks are having. So Josh, I'm going to start with you. Um, and then I want to also get some feedback from Kimberly on this question. I want to know as much as you can offer to people who are listening, what is the coronavirus? Yeah. And as you imagine,
1: that's a, that's a large question in of itself. Uh, and it requires for at least uh, the common public, it requires a certain amount of education to really answer that question. Um, but for the most part, that really uh, it's important to also denote what exactly a virus is. Okay. Uh, a lot of people uh, sometimes may not really fully understand exactly what a virus is, and sometimes believe that that. Uh, that is something separate from what they globally refer to as a germ and whatnot. Um, and however, the virus, uh, is, it's a very small kind of germ, much smaller than any bacteria or cell in your body that you can even see it in a microscope that is on all kinds of surfaces and uh, pass through the air. There's millions and millions and millions of viruses that exist out there in the world.
0: Okay. Um, and so just a few of these Millions of millions that we denote uh, Are just have They just affect the human body In a certain way we call those Pathological
1: or infectious Viruses um, So Ultimately the coronavirus Is in of itself Has been around for years And we've known about it It's mm-hmm. actually the cause for the common cold Okay, Coronavirus and I get people who ask me, "Hey, uh, why is this just now kind of becoming a thing? I've heard about coronavirus before. What makes this new thing, COVID nineteen, which is the strain of the coronavirus, what makes it so novel is that."
0: And by novel, you mean she, new, right? Correct. Oh, right. something new. Right. Yes, okay. Yes, something new. Okay. Uh, is ultimately, it's kind of like these viruses change over time okay. their, their genetic codes which kind of dictates how they work and function just change over time and randomly okay and it allows these kind of genetic shifts within them okay uh sometimes those shifts can be quite drastic and cause very unique problems to the human body. Mm-hmm. And so this is the case for this new coronavirus, COVID-19, okay. uh, is that it was this standard virus that we've been dealing with for eons, but it's just something new that is now being transmitted at a level that's concerning, but also presents with very concerning symptoms. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so that's kind of ultimately what it really is Okay. Uh, and what it does to the human body and why it's concerning
1: is that it unlike the standard coronavirus it has much more severe symptoms which require
2: hospitalization and sometimes being placed into the intensive care units or the ICU um, Okay, which is not case
0: seen before just the standard coronavirus
1: that we had been dealing with in the
0: past right because i I think that what people are are concerned about is all of the different ways it can be transmitted, and Kim, I want to bring you into this part as well are are you having how are you how has um nurses and, and the people with whom you've been working with, how have they been able to, do you think that you're communicating successfully to the patients that you all are servicing and addressing some of their concerns about what this is and how it's different? Because I don't know if you remember, but when this first kind of came out, people just thought it was just, oh, it's just like a cold or a flu. And you know,
3: unfortunately, and I appreciate what, um, Josh just said I was, while he was talking, I was shaking my head. Yes, yes, yes. He's <laughs> writing information out, which I didn't expect he wouldn't. He's a physician. Mm-hmm. But the problem is that people are not listening to that type of message. Okay. Um, I, I believe that as nurses at the bedside, um, we are putting that message out to people as well as the physicians are. But unfortunately when the patients are in the bed, mm-hmm. um, and the way the visitations are being set up now for example with um children only one parent is being allowed to come um you know to the hospital with that child to even mm. escort them to the hospital okay. you know other family members aren't able um i think what makes this different from my experience and josh please speak to this if you um see this as well I think what's making this so much more difficult for us to get the right information of the severity to the general public is the families are not able to actually see with their own eyes they hear with their ears Mm -hmm. telling them but they are not able to see with their eyes for example because we've limited that families can even come to the hospitals and be with their family members. And so they don't know what's going on, even for the ones that are in there for say two weeks. Um, and. They lost contact with their family during that care mm-hmm. during that time frame, and now they've made progress where they can talk to their families. That two week period is a void. Okay. And so these family members don't see what the staff went through, what the patient went through, what their loved one went through, if you will. Right. Right. Um, to even fully understand how bad this really is.
0: So that's probably why people are kind of confused. On one hand, on a on a press briefing, they they'll hear we're gonna open up by summer and everything's okay. Don't wear a mask, but oh, you can wear a net mask now, but it's optional. And then you hear governors and mayors saying, oh, we need more PPE. And then you hear nurses like this, this is war. So those are different messages and it's really confusing to people. And what you're basically saying, it's because of the way you're having to deal with this and people not being in that space, seeing the impact that it's having on their loved ones, perhaps. Um, that you're not able to get that message across the way you normally would, if I understand you yes. correctly. Okay, yes. okay, um, absolutely. Okay, and I, I think this
1: wouldn't be the first example if there is a disconnect between what the message is being delivered to the public versus what healthcare professionals are truly experiencing and know. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, how and Alexis, this is for you, how have um. People in the mental health profession, like yourself, how have you worked with, not necessarily just the patients, but maybe the patients' families, or those who are kind of dealing with this whole distancing thing? What are some of the things or issues that you've been that you've had to address that may have been different than when you have to what you had to address before? Sure, my
2: role as a social worker slash discharge planner at um, at the mental health facility. Uh, as of the last shift I worked with, at the hospital, literally things change email by email, so you okay. may get 10 emails in a day of procedure changes, which is really difficult for the families to deal with because we're the first point of contact when someone has a mental health breakdown and ends up in the hospital for whatever reason, suicidal, homicidal, danger to themselves or others, they're already struggling. And we, I mean, as they come in the front door, we're taking temperatures, there's no visitors allowed. Um, Just explaining that to the families, uh, it can be pretty stressful for the patient and for the families, of course, because they they want to come visit, which is already limited to visitation anyway in the mental health part of the hospital. Mm
0: -hmm. Um,
2: But what we've seen as far as families, uh, our families have been pretty understanding as we are the first point of contact for them. And we have been able to do kind of some teleconferencing with them, so they can still see their family
3: member. Okay. Um, There's also kind of precautions that the hospital has taken as far
2: as patients that come over from the medical side of the hospital with families, and they kind of have to leave them at door if they were
0: there with family, but um, just recently, like I said, restricting any visitors at all. Now, let me ask you this. Um, There have been people who have been speculating that depression will be on the rise, suicide will be on the rise and that sort of thing. What are you currently seeing right now? We have definitely seen, as of the last time I worked,
2: which was before spring break, I picked up a shift. And um, since then, we've actually <laughs> updated this week. We actually got to work from home as far as the social work team. So um, it was kind of a bittersweet moment because I'm not technically having to be on the front lines anymore, but I'm constantly worried because I, I did, we did have a patient um, at the hospital on our side of the hospital as far as the mental health. Um, branch because we're kind of separate from the rest of the hospital mm-hmm. um, there was a whole unit shut down the week that I was there because we had our first uh, patient with COVID okay so um, but the last shift that I did work there which was like I said two weeks ago uh, things were just <laughs> very stressful very, I mean there was patients, I mean, there was an uptick in patients as far as symptoms, especially those with severe mental illness are okay. having a hard time with just being in their homes. Their providers are not going to see them, so there's a disconnect when we're setting up outpatient care because inpatient, are one of our roles is to make sure that that continuity of care is followed but our continuity of care right now looks like you follow up with someone via phone because providers are not going to see those patients so we have seen a a slight uptick not um anything that we can handle like i said that was as of two weeks ago
0: though Uh, cam and josh are you all seeing any issues with continuity of care as well and if so how are you all overcoming that in the outpatient setting have been attempting to address that by uh, doing telemedicine. Okay. So allowing for like on camera or, you know, something similar, some kind of similar medium to continue good patient follow-up for the most part. Okay. Uh, I, I tend to do a lot of procedures for patients who come in in the outpatient setting. And we, I mean, we ultimately, it's been the aim for a lot of hospital institutions around here to limit the number of procedures that are being done in the outpatient setting. Okay. However, uh, some of them still come through and, you know,
2: uh, the, as, as needed. Mm-hmm.
1: But I think that's where most of the continuity of care has been seeking
0: to try to address that issue in terms of limiting contact, but mm-hmm. also still providing the
1: care needed.
0: Mm-hmm. Kim, did you have anything to add to that?
3: I agree with Josh and also the department of health has set up and i know some other health plans have set up um some nursing call lines if you will along with that telemedicine so that um you know patients can reach out to nurses even to get uh, some type of advice on their symptomology before they rush right into emergency rooms and, and bombard the staff right. um that kind of thing and so i think in doctor's offices have set those things up as well and i think that that's been very helpful
0: Okay. Now I want to ask another question. It's a different kind of question. And I really don't know how you all could address it. This might be an issue of an opinion. But there have been a lot of questions and a lot of speculations, uh, speculation rather, as to how this virus got into the country. And it's almost as if we believe that there are actual boundaries to viruses. But this is the question. How did the coronavirus get into America? What do we now know? anyone can answer that
1: so ultimately um it was already seeding in different higher dense populations throughout the world uh just probably in smaller numbers for the most part Mm -hmm. by the time we even acknowledged that it was coming to america Mm -hmm. how it got into america is ultimately of course by people uh people traveling from across the world um Whether it's international business trips, vacations. um, I think ultimately, I think the, I imagine a larger portion of how Americans became infected with this was because either Americans were traveling abroad or people were coming to the United States with the intent to vacation as well. Mm -hmm. So I think that's probably where a lot of it was transmitted and which is why some of the larger hotbeds for this virus tend to be in um, larger cities where there's a lot more tourism, such as New York City and Los Angeles.
0: Okay, okay. And I'm not really sure where people were going with that question. I wanna be clear on that, but um, perhaps just understanding that, you know, people ultimately, you know, share it amongst themselves and their communities, their neighbors. Um, And and the reason I think this was also attached to a comment that someone made. And and just for our listeners, these questions that I'm putting out there today have come all from social media. Some have come directly to us, some indirectly. But this question was one where someone was speculating that the flu outbreak might have been the coronavirus and we just weren't aware. Um, Do we know anything like that or is that just some sort of rumor? Anyone can personally not 100% aware okay. on, on on that possibility, okay. um, and I guess there's a margin of possibility on that. Uh, maybe some people who were presenting with symptoms that was just determined to be the flu, just
1: based on clinical right, symptoms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, I suppose it's possible, but we weren't really seeing these kinds of particular symptoms in that group
0: of population, at least not to this degree or uh, frequency. Okay. Okay. And I don't want to get, like I said before to all of you, I don't want to get too much into speculation, but I just want to also honestly answer questions if we have answers to them. And if people in the health community don't have answers to them, I think people need to know that so that we can, you know, um, sometimes we think we're getting information from people in the health community, if that makes sense. Okay. Um, This is another question that came across. Um, why are people taking this so seriously when not that many people have died from it? Does anyone want to pick that up? And Kim, you can address that if you can (laughs) Kim, if you want to try to address that one. (laughs) I I, I want to say, this is Kim, and I want to say I
3: think too many people have already died from And I think this goes to um, The ignorance of our people And not fully understanding What the coronavirus is How it's transmitted um, What it is actually doing to the people Because understandably Some of these people that are going into Again, that void that I talked about previously Mm -hmm. Some of these people that are going into the hospital That are critically ill And are dying No one other than the staff Has seen what happened to these people Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm only see that these people are having these symptoms. They've gotten them to the emergency room, to the hospital, they've been right. admitted. They have not seen how bad it really is inside of the hospital taking care of these patients. Mm-hmm. And um, the unresponsiveness, I will say, to the measures that normally um, you know, can turn people around, if you will, um, in a critical situation inside of a, an ICU. Okay. Um, I mean, those are some of the best staff that are there in those hospitals. And this is what um, the American people do not understand. Um, When you step inside of an ICU, you have some of the best staff in the world. Um, You have the most skilled trained physicians, nurses of all levels, all backgrounds that are there with the best medicines, the best equipment possible. And some of these people are still dying from coronavirus and they're not making it out. And so to me, for people to say, why are people taking it so serious when very few are dying. People are dying every day Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. from coronavirus. Mm -hmm. And people are, and I do believe, um, you know, I I keep up on the research um, from the good places, if you will, Mm -hmm. and some of what I've read is that there is even an under speculation, if you will, of the death toll in confirmed cases. Well,
0: let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Why, then, is it so difficult? Uh, from the political side of things, a lot of elected officials, not a lot, but some elected officials are pushing back two things. One, uh, they agree the ICU has some of the most trained people. We have some of the most trained people in the country. But their question is, why aren't they more prepared? And the second question is... Um, Um, how it's it's not feasible for them to do these shutdowns and some states have chosen not to do any at all shutdowns because they just they don't work and it doesn't make sense for the low number of people who might who might be affected what is your response to those well like josh i come from also a military background and i will tell you firsthand it is possible to shut down it is
3: very possible um and um I think that if we ramped up accordingly, um, and even from a legal perspective, mm-hmm. um, the, board, the state boards of health have the authority to issue shutdowns, and it is also codified in state law all across every jurisdiction. So, a complete shutdown is possible. Okay. Um, and I think that what we've done is a light uh, or a soft shutdown, mm-hmm. and we've seen the response from the people. Right. And unfortunately, We don't want to move to a more harsh um, and more restrictive shutdown um, because then that's when, um, you know, we will start to need Alexis and her team even more,
0: Mm, mm -hmm. um, to be honest.
3: Okay. And I, and I do think that that is part of the problem. You know, when you restrict people, crime rates go up. Mm-hmm. Um, when you start um, telling people, I mean, you look at now, I mean, here in the city of Indianapolis, we've had shootings, um, you know, massive shootings over the last week, and I'm thinking, why are we having these shootings? People right. should be at home. Right. And right. so that's a good point. I mean, they should be at home. They shouldn't be shooting anyone. They should be at home. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I just, I think that that's where we're at in this country. Mm. I think that we Signals uh, from a political perspective, and um, and a lot of these politicians want to stay in office. Right. Period. In the right. discussion, they want to stay in office, and if they tell their people in their states that we're going to make you stay home, they know that pretty much that's the end of most of their political careers.
0: Mm. Okay. Okay. So there is yeah, some I, sort of. I agree. Go ahead, Josh. All right. May I chime in? Yeah. So. Agree with a lot of that. I think ultimately, uh, some of these the mixed signals that are being sent out are the unfortunate mixture of truth and political agenda, which can have unfortunately a negative impact on uh, what kind of information is distributed. Uh-huh.
1: However, I guess uh, just to, just to tag a little bit on of that question you said specifically the potential small amount of people this would impact right. that question mm-hmm. and I think truly for the most part I we with the measures we're taking now things are looking better than what they could have been already okay however I think it will continue to worsen in time yeah, okay. Ultimately, with the high mortality rates, especially with the older populations, if we at all, if nobody took action to shut things down, millions would have died. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, now,
0: fortunately, it's only thousands, but... Again, we're not seeing the end of this. Okay. We've not even begun to see the peak of the number of infected cases to occur. It's right. been increasing at an exponential rate worldwide. It's several millions, mm-hmm. uh, or
1: about a, over a million, mm-hmm. um, and then over 300,000 here within the United States itself. Right, right, right. It's Closing in on 400.
0: Populations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, as the medical staff become overwhelmed, that will also.
1: Contribute to the increasing numbers of mortality. So I guess uh, when people say to why are we taking these severe precautions due to the, I guess, small impact it would have on a smaller group of people, and truly it would impact a large number of people. Yeah. Uh, and it, it could be very dire circumstances, especially if we chose to do nothing.
0: I think we're still even looking at a very grim next couple of months, even with the precautions we're taking. So not to belabor this point, you said the next couple of months and we're going into a warmer season. Uh, There have been some who have speculated, I haven't heard medical professionals say this, but in the political arena, that the warmer temperatures should bring down numbers. Is that something that you all have any indication of at this point? Or is that just us perhaps wishing or hoping that that will be the case? I think there's a large component
1: of hoping and wishful thinking in it um, it's pure speculation i don't think it's really backed by any additional information okay. okay um the only thing truly is is that uh usually when there's warmer months people's
0: behavior patterns change they're in less uh-huh. condensed spaces they're spending more time in open spaces and so therefore transmission patterns may change okay um, okay yeah so ultimately those things may change but the biggest measures that can be made are ultimately still this isolation stuff you can't rely on warmer weather to hopefully impact you know the the outcome of this stuff right okay so since we're talking about people getting this um another question or a couple of questions have come across people want to know how they can get tested and how much it costs where could people just go to get tested and how much does it cost to get tested? And would people be turned away if they don't have insurance? Kim, you want to tackle that? Or Josh or Alexis, either one of you? Okay. So
3: from what I can tell, um, and and me doing my own research on cost, um, I believe that the test
2: is free. Um, Hmm.
3: However, and they can call their doctors, and I know Eli Lilly here Um, In the city will provide the testing if they have an order
0: from your doctor to have the test completed Okay, Um, but we but we need to understand from um, As
3: Josh talked about the overwhelm of the healthcare providers, you know We have a couple different issues with testing because I hear a lot of people talk about that. They can't get tested Um, We have a pandemic Mm -hmm. Um, And with this pandemic, we have a limited number of supplies and we have a limited number of resources. And when I say resources, I mean testing kits and those who are also um, completing the tests, if you will. Um, And so we have to understand that from what I have seen, um, a lot of people Um, They are being treated clinically And being told to quarantine at home Um, If they are becoming Sick enough that they weren't coming To the hospital Mm -hmm. Then of course um, Those people have to be tested um, Because you have to know what you're dealing with Inside of the hospital and Even for proper follow up And transition of care outside of the hospital setting And Josh please tag along in there
1: I absolutely agree with everything you just said Truly
0: Uh, You know there are ways Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately with the
1: limited resources um, it would be very
0: can I call my doctor to
1: test everyone who just wanted to make sure that they
0: didn't have it so um, I can't so just call my, my doctor so I just can't call my doctor and get a test do I have to qualify for a test how does that work yeah ultimately usually based on your symptoms or if you're at particular risks with this oh uh, I see so if you have additional chronic medical conditions, things that
1: are long term, uh, which would increase your risk of mortality or morbidity in the case of getting this virus, you might be tested, or if you're taking care of someone, perhaps they would make that permissible, but usually we wait until someone has symptoms, All Right.
0: But because ultimately we would be expending
1: a lot of these important, vital resources...
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: on people who would test negative, mm-hmm. especially if they're not having symptoms.
0: Now, isn't that the case, period, though? You don't just necessarily go in and, and get a CAT scan or any test, right? There is usually something that would lead your healthcare care professional, your, your GP, to decide that you might need to take this test. Isn't that normally the case? Yeah, and yeah, absolutely. And when right. medicine is practiced appropriately, it should always be the case. Because right. no test... Or procedure it comes without risks uh, this is a thing I talk to my patients about all the time every day that everything we do has some risk mm-hmm. uh, and
1: that those risks need to be considered and weighing them against the benefits mm-hmm. and okay. in this particular case with this risk benefit analysis we now have to consider uh, availability of resources in a public health setting which is now calculated into that risk benefit analysis Um, and so those individuals who would likely have low benefits such as the people who don't
0: have any symptoms Mm -hmm. or have anything you know that to be worth tested for uh ultimately it would be of a low benefit but a higher risk because we are now depleting
1: that additional
0: resource and that's what's so confusing because we hear about asymptomatic people you know, who might be spreading it, and in the minds of the cat, you have it, but you don't have the symptoms. This podcast is brought to you in part by Eliak Productions, a studio for podcasters and musicians and PointCast News. To listen to any of our podcasts, please go to our website at pointcast.news or visit us at Apple Podcasts. Stay tuned for the continuation of this broadcast.